Specifically, I'd love to know why the woman needed the dog and how the dog was groomed for her in the first place. Ryle arrived at their residence at the same time as their cognizant rights caseworker. You're here for... prompted a Malil whose name tag declared here to be Officer Rock. Broken crockery printer, said Ryle. Julie called. Rock made some notes. Could you tell if it was prompted? No, sorry. Nanny answered the door. Now that he was listening for it, he could hear the rote phrases. Welcome, come in. We are glad to see you. Nanny was more adapted for bipedal motion than, say, boy, and smarter. She was one of the infamous grey areas that earned Ryle his reputation. 
The house was a standard living space, public quarters in the middle, private quarters to the right, and the mandatory garden that was part of the station's air recycling system to the left. Julie sprang away from her painting at the sight of him and grabbed his hand. The printer is this way. I tried to make a new plate and it just smoked and smelled really bad. Ryle let her lead him to the private zone, where kitchen, bathroom, and sleep nooks butted up against each other in an orderly crowd. You and Nanny make an interesting pair, he said, beginning careful disassembly by making certain the machine was both powered down and disconnected. How long have you two known each other? Julie grinned. This was a favorite subject. I got her when I was five, she said in her now typical chain monotone. She was a very smart puppy, and me and trainer Phil got her and me working together. Officer Rock supplied extra information. Julie was born with a rare allergy to the immunoflu strains. One in five million has it. Of those, one in 50,000 has the mutation that requires tailored gene cleaning to treat it. And of those, one in 500 million does not show up on standard gene scans. Julie was developmentally reduced some years before her problem was detected. I'm all fixed now, said Julie. Nobody has to wear masks anymore. Aha. A junior fit had clogged the cooling fan and, yes, its webs had caused a short circuit. And Nanny? Nanny is a super smart dog, Julie supplied. She's good to me and good for me, and that's special. Nanny is the best solution to a bad problem said Rock, making notes again, very possibly touching minds with both human and dog to monitor their mutual mental stability. Their little telepathy didn't touch him much further than a basic emotional scan. His brain was far too different. Human companions generally need to be older than their charges, and mortality complicates matters. Julie tested low on her ability to accept changes in her social environment. Julie, Watching Ryle extract the fit in its death-throw webs muttered, Ugh, yuck. Ryle used his mini-vac to clean out the pest droppings and sundry fluff that had found their way inside the machine. Stellar Trade Incorporated, the company who employs Julie's parents, took responsibility and ordered a fully functioning companion from... Rock checked her files. A Benari gene tailor specializing in augmented pets. So you could say that Nanny was made for Julie, said Ryle as he checked the affected circuits. If you wanted to be crass about it, sniffed Rock. Longer-lived species aren't as relatable as an augmented pet. This was all about what Julie needed. Dogs already have a loyalty to their companions. St. Bernard's in particular have the necessary body mass to make this degree of augmentation less of a problem. And the mortality issue? Nanny has a retirement package prepaid for when she outlives Julie. Some eighty-so years down the line, if Ryle had his maths right. He reconnected and reactivated the crockery printer, running the last program as a test. Julie applauded, jumping with enthusiasm. Hey Nanny, look Nanny, it's fixed, he fixed it. Nanny, busy cooking a proportioned and proper meal, craned her neck to see and wagged her tail. Good job! Julie left him and Rock together with her. I have to go back to work now. I'm an artist. Ten minutes to wash-up time, said Nanny. Rock raised a sly eyebrow. I trust this meets your exacting criteria. Ryle, self-confessed and self-appointed cognizant rights activist, nodded with a smile. 
They have a place to belong. They work well together. Neither is in debt to the other. My curiosity is sated and my worry is waning. And I check up on them every week. Rock handed him her card. If you wish, we can arrange a meeting. Ryle took it with a polite bow. I will not be meddling. End fire. We now commence intermission with a word from the author. Greetings, Assemble Cognizance. I wrote the story or stories you just heard, as well as performed it on a relatively cheap headset mic. We all have to start somewhere, and this is me, using what I've got. You might be wondering about the reference numbers. I can't read my fan fictions for legal reasons, so I'm skipping all the flash fictions I wrote that were inside someone else's IP. They are still available online for free, which we all prefer as a price tag. I'm doing this podcast for two reasons, the first being accessibility and the other being advertising. I want as many people as possible enjoying my little tales, and providing audio versions of them might just help with that. Likewise, if people can hear my stories, they might just wish to share them with their friends. We have busy lives these days, and curling up with a good book just isn't in the cards for many people. I get it. It's been literal years since I've been able to enjoy the same privilege. Therefore, these half-hour-ish podcasts should help fill some kind of void for someone, somewhere. Hopefully, it's you. If you wish to hear an improvement in audio quality, buy my books, join my Patreon, or just send me a Kofi, then you might just want to set your data readers to internauta.org. That's I-N-T-E-R-N-U-T-T-E-R dot O-R-G. There you will find links to every current means I have to get the word out, access to projects I'm working on, and the fast track to my Patreon and Ko-fi pages. If you like the melodious sound of my voice and wish to hear your business or organization name rendered in a semi-Australian accent, then send an inquiry to nutterbutler at gmail.com. That's N-U-T-T-E-R-B-U-T-T-L-E-R at gmail.com. We can negotiate rates. If you make music and wish to hear it distributed by my newbie podcast, then send a sample and an inquiry, and we can take it from there. Keep in mind that I am distributing this podcast for free, and I'm currently making zero dollars out of this affair. Thank you for listening, and I hope you stick with me for the foreseeable future. Accessing archival file, reference number 00036. File name reference, good intentions. Prompt, end a story with this line. She only knew it was going to be messy, however it ended. Karen had a problem with clean. Firstly, it never made sense, because the first thing that happened to Clean was that someone pretty much instantly made it UN in short order. Secondly, she could never really do it. Her attempts at Clean always ended badly, and Mom loved Clean. Loved it beyond all reason, and today was Mother's Day, the one day that good children did special things for mothers that mothers would love. Karen woke up extra early to get a start. She had a plan, and the best of plans were simple ones. Bacon and eggs, on a plate, on a tray, with a cup of coffee.
and a vase with some flowers for the garden. And, as a special effort, Karen would clean up after herself. That was the plan. The eggs did not behave. The bacon spat and bit her. Water went everywhere at the slightest provocation. Karen wanted to cry, but she kept trying. She had to be brave. She was, after all, nearly almost four. She only knew it was going to be messy. However, it ended. End fire. You will now enjoy a brief musical interlude by Ellipsis Addiction.
Accessing archival file reference number 00039. File name reference Whither Shall I Wander? Prompt Include anywhere in the story this line Anywhere was home unless the place included her. Josie was a wanderer. Anywhere was home unless the place included her. She did not use her name. It was always she, her, or in extreme situations, that woman. Just a glimpse of her, just the thought that she might be there, that she might have followed her across oceans, continents, rivers, towns, or down the endless roads, had Josie packing her bags and moving on. The worst thing was that woman refused to take a hint, always following her, tracking her down, demanding a confrontation, resolution, closure. Josie didn't have anything more to say to her. She'd said it all so many times over. In the years, Josie couldn't escape, and she just would not listen. Then came Craplackwistan. A shitty little town in a shitty little country with the best person in the world, Max. Josie stayed longer than she had ever stayed anywhere, saving her years in purgatory with her, of course. She made a place, helped the community, moved in, and just like always, she turned up. At a social gathering, Josie couldn't escape because it was in her honour, with everyone staring. Josie put on a rictus and tried not to bite her as her hand came in for a handshake that looked more companionable than it felt. My dear, she said, when are you going to give up this nonsense and come back home to Jason? I'm still a lesbian, Mom, said Josie. And Jason's still a rapist asshole who thinks his dick can solve everything. This is Maxine, my wife. End fire. We now commence intermission with a word from the author. Greetings, Assemble Cognizance. I wrote the story or stories you just heard as well as performed it on a relatively cheap headset mic. We all have to start somewhere and this is me using what I've got. You might be wondering about the reference numbers. I can't read my fan fictions for legal reasons, so I'm skipping all the flash fictions I wrote that were inside someone else's IP. They are still available online for free, which we all prefer as a price tag. I'm doing this podcast for two reasons, the first being accessibility and the other being advertising. I want as many people as possible enjoying my little tales, and providing audio versions of them might just help with that. Likewise, if people can hear my stories, they might just wish to share them with their friends. We have busy lives these days, and curling up with a good book just isn't in the cards for many people. I get it. It's been literal years since I've been able to enjoy the same privilege. Therefore, these half-hour-ish podcasts should help fill some kind of void for someone, somewhere. Hopefully, it's you. If you wish to hear an improvement in audio quality, buy my books, join my Patreon, or just send me a Kofi, then you might just want to set your data readers to internauta.org. That's I-N-T-E-R-N-U-T-T-E-R dot O-R-G. There you will find links to every current means I have to get the word out, access to projects I'm working on, and the fast track to my Patreon and Ko-fi pages. 
If you'd like the melodious sound of my voice and wish to hear your business or organization name rendered in a semi-Australian accent, then send an inquiry to nutterbutler at gmail.com. That's N-U-T-T-E-R-B-U-T-T-L-E-R at gmail.com. We can negotiate rates. If you make music and wish to hear it distributed by my newbie podcast, then send a sample and an inquiry, and we can take it from there. Keep in mind that I am distributing this podcast for free, and I'm currently making zero dollars out of this affair. Thank you for listening, and I hope you stick with me for the foreseeable future. Accessing archival file, reference number zero 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 four zero. File name reference. Where art thou, daughter? Prompt. Before Josie's mom goes to Kraplakwistan, recount the last conversation she had with Jason and how little she really knows how awful he is, even as it reeks and ferments before her very eyes due to her obsession to bring Josie back to her point of view. Portia greeted Jason with a warm hug and a kiss on each cheek. Darling, how have you been? I've been dying to see you since Tarikawukwu. Jason smiled warmly for her and waved away a disappointed blonde in the background. Portia, dear Portia, have you heard anything from poor lost Josie? Has she changed her mind? I heard from a good friend that one of his distant cousins glimpsed her in Kraplakwistan, of all places. That is a lot of miles to track her down. Jason snagged a passing champagne. I do hope that inheritance dear Josie is due is not catching a beating. I'd hate to think of you lovely ladies becoming destitute. Oh no, don't worry your darling head about it. I pretty much budgeted for all of this travelling since before dear Josie took it into her head to go gallivanting. Securing the knowledge of our poor girl's future and its security is just a drop out of the reservoir. And I trust you're well adept at keeping any nasty rumours under wraps. Of course, of course. My best friends own the networks. The rest can be dismissed as hateful things people spread on the internet. Lesbian, indeed. Cautious sniffed. Huh, I put rested that one. Jason laughed. <laughs> you can't be a lesbian if you've had sex with a man. Yes, no need to state it so crudely, my dear. There's a polite way to say it. Perhaps that you both enjoyed a menage. Oh, yeah. Jason swapped his empty glass for a handful of canapes. I menaged her brains out. Portia cleared her throat and pretended not to have heard Jason's last remark. For all his occasional crude attitude, he was of good stock with some very good political connections. If she could just convince that idiot girl to give up her nonsense and live properly, then Portia's grandson may well be leader of the free world. As she drifted away, she could have sworn she glimpsed Jason rejoining the blonde he disappointed earlier. One of his more regrettable tendencies was that he lacked a certain amount of volume control. Yeah, that's the old bat. Gonna marry her only daughter for the money. Fuck her until she pops out a kid or two and then set us up on our own little holiday island. Ugly as hell the both of them. 
and the daughter's damn blaming. Of course I'm on yours. I've got a whole library of excuses to stay away from them. Boyish high spirits. Once Josie had him settled down, he would forget about the blonde. And if he refused to part with that silicon stuffed piece of eye candy, Portia would just have to find out the girl's name and make her life inconvenient. Nobody put one up on Portia von Smythe. Tomorrow, she was going to fly to Kraplakwistan and drag Josie back to the altar if she had to. But for now, it was smiles, glitter, and wine. End file. Accessing archival file. Reference number 0-0-0-4-2. File name reference. The shocking truth. Prompt. An outsider to everything talks about seeing something they shouldn't. Fully knowing the ramifications of their seeing will impact the entire world they live in. Shade knew she was on time. She checked the chrono four times as she heard Ryle's voice in the negotiations room. He was, apparently, talking in some variety of bird, one of the languages that gave her universal translator ability trouble. Something about beaks. This was one of those negotiation rooms that had been repurposed from an interrogation room and, as luck would have it, the neighbouring observation cupboard was empty. She swallowed her claustrophobia and ducked in for a quick peek. Ryle was talking to a gigantic Rhode Island Red. Six foot tall if he was an inch. Beady little eyes, crest, wattle and shiny black tail feathers. Sure, the rooster also appeared to be wearing an ornate golden dressing gown, but he was still a rooster. Shade ducked back out into the hallway for some better air and tried to think through this. 500 years had passed since she left Earth, more if you counted the time from the one-way wormhole colonies that crossed great physical distance by going backwards in time. Anything could have happened. She had to say something, even if it caused a war. She snagged Ryle by the elbow as he emerged and whipped him half a meter down the hall to whisper. You can't even talking to a giant chicken, yeah? Ambassador Boo only appears to resemble the Terran bird Avis Domestica. Shade waved a frantic arm at the six-foot bird. There's a chicken, I tell you. A giant chicken. Ryle cast a pleading gaze at the bird. The bird gently pulled her away from her something more than friend with his wing, with the scaly chicken claw hand that had been hidden by his wing feathers. Then he spoke Galstand. He had trouble because of his beak, but he still spoke. It's all right. I get this all the time. Shade boggled. She knew she was boggling. It was just one step from outright culture shock and screaming down the hallways. Keep it together. Ambassador Boo trilled out some very unchicken bird song. Ambassador Boo <coughs> would like to invite you to lunch and a trade of rude questions, said Ryle. Then he explained, it's a regular thing when he manages to disturb someone. Public place, food, and rude questions? How could a gal resist? End fire. You have been listening to Intermission, the story audio podcast made logic free for your entertainment. Introduction and incidental music by Ellipsis Addiction. Stories and performances by C.M. Well, also known as the Internata. Cover art by The Greatest Asswaffle. 
and credited as such by their request. For all further information, set your data readers to I-N-T-E-R-N-U-T-T-E-R dot O-R-G. Intermission. Sponsored by no one. Listened by you.